0: Hey, well it's really great to be with you. Um, uh, It's a particular pleasure to kind of come and do a weekend away for Magdalen Road because I know Peter from uh, Cambridge days. Uh, Peter was my pastor back in Cambridge uh, and is one of the people, in God's goodness, well I take it goodness, uh, responsible uh, for my going into working for a church and going into full-time ministry. So... Uh, he's responsible, blame him. If, um, uh, and so uh, uh, our family's known Peter and Judy since back then and kind of had a vague ear as to what's been happening down in Oxford, So, but not really in a you know, very close to the situation at all. So it's really great to be here and to be with you guys. And thank you very much for your warm welcome um, so far. I trust that will continue. Um, <laughs> but it's just been really nice. So it's great to be with, with, with you. Um, We're doing this theme, Experiencing the Spirit. That's the title for The Weekend on your little booklets. I'm guessing the reason it's the title for The Weekend is because it's the title of a book I wrote. Um, And in fact, if you want to know why there's a surfer on the front cover, it's not so much because we're on the south coast. It's because uh, the cover designer of the book I wrote, for some reason, decided to choose a picture of a surfer um, on a big wave. It's not the same picture, but it's a very similar picture. Um, I never quite saw the connection with the spirits myself, but anyway, they, you know, maybe a thrilling experience kind of picture. Anyway, so I wrote that book and um, I, I had a surfer on it. So, that just explains the cover on there. Um, uh, the reason I chose that title for the book, Experiencing the Spirit, is because uh, the Holy Spirit is, is like God's agent in the world um, uh, it, is, it is through the Spirit that God works. Um, you might know that famous verse from uh, Zechariah where God says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. That's how I'm going to work, by my Spirit. The Spirit kind of implements God's plans. What God does in the world, He does through His Spirit. And there's a danger, I think, when we think of... Um, The work of the Spirit, or experiencing the Spirit, that we think of something uh, quite unique, or they've had that experience of the Spirit, that I haven't had, or something like that. It's often how we can think about the work of the Spirit. Um, And one of the reasons I wrote that book was simply to say, well, the the work of the Spirit is in all God is doing. Um, Any Christian has had an experience of the Spirit, because they've been brought to faith, and all sorts of other ways. Uh, So, in one sense, I wanted to demystify it a little bit. But I also wanted to say there is more experience of the Spirit, because God wants to change us more and do more in us and through us. And so, in one sense, I I mentioned all that for the background, to say that's kind of the feel of the weekend I guess I'd like us to have. We're not talking about something unique and bizarre. We're talking about God's work in our lives by his Spirit. But there's more of that and he wants to change us, and my prayer is that he'll do that this weekend. Now, our first talk is on the Holy Spirit and wholeness. Um, and that if You, you, you want to grab your little booklets at this stage, because um, uh, both because there are some headings in there, um, and I'm not going to put things up on a PowerPoint or something just because you've got the headings in the booklets, and we'll just repeat it. Um, but also because there are occasionally some little questions, and the way I like to do these sorts of things is to make things nicely interactive. You don't just have to listen to me for 40 minutes or something, uh, droning on. Uh, occasionally I'll ask you to turn to your neighbour and discuss something. If you haven't got a neighbour sitting next to you, uh, Lily, you appear to be all by yourself. You can you, know, t- you can turn round, you can move, uh, whatever, so feel free to do that. Um, and occasionally I'll ask questions of you, straight and it's not a rhetorical question. I do want to reply. Okay, uh, So, and if you want to ask a question, just wave a hand or start talking or something. So, I'm, very, I'm really happy that these things are kind of interactive. So, I'd like to kick off with this question. Uh, what, if you, you know, here, here, here I am, I've been given the topic, the spirit and wholeness. What is wholeness? Turn to your neighbour, would, how would you define a, a, a Christian who is whole or a, a wholeness sort of Christian? What does that mean? to your neighbour. Lots of right answers to that, I'm sure. You've got about a minute. Go. Let's turn back. Uh, quick thoughts. What is, what is wholeness in the Christian life? Whole. Yeah. They'd probably be in heaven. Very good. And we're going to come back to that. We're going to come back to that. And that's very important to say. Uh, because, why? Because, because yeah. Okay. We'll 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 explore that a bit more. Other thoughts for the whole Christian life. Like yep. It's not broken. Not broken. <laughs> 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 <There>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Healthy relationships. Healthy relationships. yeah, Thank you. Other thoughts. Yep. Okay, thank you. Other thoughts? Yeah, thoughts, words, actions all go in the same direction. Integrity, James mumbled there. I say mumbled, it wasn't pejorative. Any other thoughts? Yeah. yeah yeah okay well let let's let's um run, run, run with this a little bit, and we'll we'll come back to that that thought. Um, obviously, you say wholeness, it has the idea of healthiness, order, uh, nothing missing, not being broken, and so on. Now just to think what that means biblically, I think the most helpful thing to do is to give us a kind of a big picture on this, okay when we say wholeness as we kind of began and we heard from Anna, which is really great, so we could easily start to think wholeness in the sense of my particular hurts and pains and so on. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. But I think it's really helpful to take a big step back and think what does wholeness look like kind of in the big sweep of God's plans. So, I think to think about wholeness, you have to go back to creation and you have to think about how God made us in his image before the fall because there you've got a picture of people in their pristine state, whole before God, as God meant them to be, as the designer intended. There is a little picture of wholeness for us. Uh, I try to sum that up in this uh, diagram that you've got in your in your little handouts. Um, and we're, not, we're not going to do, kind of, do lots of looking at verses in Genesis and so on. I'm just going to presume you know some of that. And if you don't, you can read some of it. I'm going to give you my kind of overall take on it. I think we see that we're made to live in relationship. And that relationship extends in three directions. So, there's me in that diagram. And I'm made to relate to God and to other people and to the world in which I live. I'm made to live under God because he's our Creator, our Father, our King. So I'm made to live in love and obedience to Him, trusting Him, glorifying Him, obeying Him, and where He loves me and blesses me and provides for me and so on. Uh, we're made to live alongside other people. God didn't make us to live in kind of isolation, just me and Him, vertical relationship. We're made to live in community with other people. So, why Jesus said, you know, what's the most important commandment? Loving God. And then immediately said, and loving others. But we're also made as physical people in a physical world. And uh, we read in Genesis 1 that we're made to be rulers of the world. To rule over it, to subdue it. We're supposed to be, exercise responsible rule. So here are three dimensions in which we're to live. Uh, And I think those dimensions give us a picture of human wholeness when each of those relationships are as they are supposed to be, when each of those are perfect. And I think then that individual, you know, the me in the diagram, is going to live out those relationships perfectly and within themselves have that sort of integrity and authenticity that we were just talking about. So, what breaks wholeness? Chapter 3 of Genesis. Sin. Sin. Very simple answer. We turn from that foundational relationship with God and rather than trusting Him and obeying Him, we choose not to believe, uh, we turn away and we fall from that pristine state And rather than wholeness, there is now disorder, unhealthiness, things missing. And we can see those in those three sets of relationships. What is there with God now? Rather than love and obedience, there is rebellion, okay, division, hatred, Hatred. yeah. You know, we now know the power of sin and temptation, the the lack of trust of God, wanting to live independent of God, wanting to worship things other than God. That's all unhealthiness in that vertical relationship. With other people, rather than loving community, what do we see? Irritation with people. <laughs> Said with feeling, I like, go, oh, I, 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 voice I, you. <laughs> Murder! (laughs) (laughs) Or irritation leading to murder. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We thought we'd have an open weekend. uh... Genesis 4, first murder. We're back in Genesis 3, arguing between Adam and Eve. Uh, Community is broken, there's selfishness, there's lack of trust, there is People hurting each other. But at the world, rather than responsible rule of a perfect, harmonious world, what do we see now? We see abuse of the world. What else? Exploitation. Hardship. It's not, the, the, the rule of the world is not the delightful thing it was supposed to be now as Adam works the ground, it's going to produce thorns and thistles. So we see uh, the disorder of creation. We see all the physical effects of sin, not in the sense of direct physical effects, but just the, the, the fact that the world is now subject to frustration. We see illness. We see tragedy. We see pain. All of this is a picture of sinful, broken humanity rather than wholeness. This is why the news is bad news. This is why uh, relationships fall apart and families get wrecked. This is why we hurt each other. This is why we say one thing and do something else. This is why we find it hard to trust, why we withdraw from each other. This is why we're far from God, under his wrath. I think it's helpful to begin with that big picture. As I say, we say the Holy Spirit in wholeness, we can very easily jump to my, my individual struggles or hurts. And we're going to get to that. We want to see that as part of that big picture. But understood this way, I think one way to think of God's plans of salvation is to think about how he's going to restore us to wholeness. In fact, not just restore us, restore his whole creation to wholeness overturning all these effects of sin. There's a lot we could talk about in that vein and of course it would centre on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We're going to focus on the work of the Spirit in applying that to us. So, uh, heading 1, we'll get there eventually, uh, the Spirit who recreates. And I'd like you to turn to John chapter 3. We'll look at a few passages fairly quickly because uh, I'm trying to give a bit of a broad sweep in this first talk, but we will actually open the Bible and look at sections of it, rather than my just mentioned bits of it. So, John chapter 3, uh, probably a fairly well-known passage to you. There was a Pharisee, uh, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the signs you're doing of God, we're not with him. So he's kind of impressed with Jesus, interested in Jesus. Jesus doesn't give him a chance to ask whatever question he might have come with, because he says in verse 3, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Nicodemus doesn't seem to understand verse 4. You can't climb back into your mother's womb. So Jesus tries to clarify verse 5. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus is saying that we are spiritually corpses. We are spiritually dead. Being in God's kingdom is a picture of being in relationship with him back under his rule, like we were supposed to be. And the effect of our sin and turning away from him doesn't just mean we're spiritually unhealthy, we're spiritually dead. Such that what we need is not a little bit of spiritual vitality, we need new birth, we need new life. Now, this is the most profound brokenness that we need to be healed of and the first step towards wholeness, God working by his spirit to reawaken us, to breathe new life into us. There's an Old Testament background to this. See in verse 10 uh, Jesus uh, says to Nicodemus, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things. In other words, you, you should know what I'm talking about in this new birth business. Because you're a teacher of the scriptures of Israel. And uh, uh, the reason he should understand it is a number of Old Testament passages look forward to a time when God will work by his spirit. Uh, Ezekiel 36, I put on the sheets, haven't I? I'll sprinkle clean water on you, you'll be clean, I'll cleanse you and so on. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and so on. That passage is followed by Ezekiel 37 where Ezekiel has a vision of the valley of dry bones, dead bodies, not a hint of life to them. And then God's spirit comes and brings life. And this is a truth that's repeated in the rest of the New Testament. I've got some other verses on the sheet there from Titus and 2 Corinthians. And the great truth is is that from that position of utter brokenness, God recreates us. It's like we are born again. We have new life through the awakening work of the Spirit. Uh, I think it was is it Duncan. No, Daniel. I knew it began with D. It was close. Um, uh, I was saying last night about you know, heard, heard that becoming a Christian uh, he was forgiven for his sins no one told him he didn't have to do them anymore but it's very easy sometimes you can think of the Christian life as this new status we have I've been forgiven I've been, uh, I've been, I've been accepted by God I'm justified I'm right before him and so on which is gloriously and wonderfully true and I've been given new life. To live a new life. Not just a change of position, it's a change of reality in me that the Spirit has given me a new heart. And this is the, this is the very basis of the entire Christian life. If we didn't have this, the Christian life would simply be, be forgiven but just carry on as you work. No, God's going to remake us, reform us. And to do that, he has to put the new spark of life in us. Now, this, of course, means there's only ever one type of Christian and it's the born-again type of Christian. Only one type of Christian. It doesn't matter what background we are from what we have or haven't done, what skeletons there are or there aren't in the cupboard. See, we speak of some people as being more broken than others, don't we? And I I know what we mean by that, and there is truth in that, but in the most profound sense, we are all equally broken, we all need an equal work of God to remake us and put that new life in us. And that means we're not just forgiven, we have a new life to live. I find that incredibly encouraging. I've got a new life. I can live a different life now. A life heading towards how God made me to be. Because of that renewal of the Spirit, the new life of the Spirit. Okay, number two. The spirits who renews. Let's turn to Colossians. So, go on in your Bibles to the right, through some letters, past Philippians into Colossians. If you get to anything beginning with T, you've gone too far. Thessalonians, Timothy. Colossians chapter 3. Let me just read a few verses and I've got a question for you. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 5. Uh, Paul tells people to put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, except to morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. So, he's he's talking about the the change in in, in Christian living, the change in living that should come for a Christian. But look how he frames it in verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self and its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Just thinking particularly of verse 10 there, turn to your neighbour If someone will ask you to describe the process of the Christian life from verse 10, how would you describe it? Someone said, what what does growing as a Christian mean? And you had to use these sorts of, this sort of idea and language. How would you describe the Christian life? Quick thoughts, the Christian life is a life of? Renewal. renewal. Is there any more expansion on that? Continual renewal. Keep going. Transformation. Continual transformation. Change of thinking. Yeah. No descriptions. Renewal into what? Become more and more like Jesus or a different way of describing it? More and more like we were when we were created. You are being renewed in knowledge, so the transformation of our thinking and our understanding. Um, uh, in the image of our Creator, we are made in God's image. To be like Him in our, in our holiness and godliness, uh, to be like Him in His relationships, in love. We're thinking about that picture of wholeness back at the beginning, and the the, the process of the Christian life. Is this process of renewal back more as we're supposed to be, and so it involves this putting off some stuff and putting on other stuff. You've got in verse 12 about what we should clothe ourselves with with compassion and kindness and so on. It's a picture of, uh, of, of renewal. I'm trying to think of a sort of illustration of this. Uh, hi, welcome.. Uh, <laughs> Um, I don't know, if you could get some old you know, some, some masterpiece painting or something and then someone comes and graffitis uh, all over it so that you can't you know, the, the, the the beauty of the original image is defaced and then you say, well, well, well I, well, I want to renew this, I mean it's really damaged and you'd have a process of both, I, I'm guessing picking off the, the the rubbish stuff that shouldn't be there I may be kind of, you know, going back over the new stuff that ought to be there. So you're getting rid of what shouldn't and you're you're, you're uh, bringing in what should. And 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 it's a, a gradual process where as you look at it you go, I see it. I can see that glory of that masterpiece. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He could, couldn't he? And you could look at certain points in history where that's virtually what he's done, the flood, where he decides, I'm going to wipe out, you know, mankind is so sinful, I'm going to start again with one righteous man who isn't so righteous. And before long, we're back to where we started. But then God promises in Genesis 9 never to do that again. Um, why? Well, I did, I'm not sure we're ever given uh, I've decided to do it like this because sort of reason that clearly. But I think it must revolve around his great love and graciousness. That he'd prefer to bear with us and renew us rather than screw up that bit of work and throw it away and start again. So it should lead us to amazement. So that's what he do. So God is restoring His image in us. Again, salvation is not simply the, uh, the, our sins not being counted against us and being forgiven, although it is all that, it is a process of renewal and restoration to become more what we were supposed to be, to become more human. To become more whole. This is a this whole process Paul is, is encouraging here. I mean, we read about you know well don't lie and you know, don't get into sexual morality and be kind, and we can think, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be, be being good. It can feel like it's a it's kind of almost a restriction of my humanity. I, I'm being told to do you know not, not do things that are fun. And uh, this is actually a a, a kind of a, a rediscovery of my humanity. Now, he doesn't mention um, uh, the Spirit uh, here, but elsewhere this kind of work of renewal uh, is linked directly to the Spirit. The most famous passage is Galatians 5. So, just turn back uh, a few pages in your Bibles to Galatians 5 and verse uh, 16 or so. He's talking in very similar terms. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Um, he goes on in verse 19 to talk about what the acts of the sinful nature are sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, and so on. And then verse 22 the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. Then you're all divided up into those groups so <laughs> over the weekend. There is this, there is still this old leaning towards evil, which were what Paul calls the desires of the sinful nature. But it's all stuff Christians can still do, uh, but it's kind of now unhealthy Christian life. Living in darkness, and this God by His Spirit wants to release us from that and bring us into His light and to produce His fruit. Let us think about this. Um, This is not the Christian life that is like a list of rules. Um, You you look at the the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience and so on. The Christian life is not a list of uh, now there's lots of do's and don'ts. A box you can tick, I've done that one, I haven't done that one, and so on. It's not drawing lines between right and wrong and saying the Spirit now leads you not to cross the line. It's not, about, it's not about rules or lines, it's about attitudes. It's about a new character that you now develop and express. This isn't a rule book of Christian living, it's a character description that you keep on growing in. It's like fruit that just keeps on growing. But producing this new character, this fruit, means there's going to be a fight. You see, the sinful nature is still pulling us towards evil and its acts and the spirit, meanwhile, is pulling us towards uh, renewal and his fruit. Verse 17 says they desire sort of what is contrary to each other. They're in conflict with each other. And we're caught up in that conflict because each has an effect on us. It's like a tug of war Uh, with the sinful nature pulling one way and the spirit pulling the other way. And the rope is tied around us. But we're not a pawn in this fight. Paul's main concern in this passage is to tell us to join in and pull with the spirit. See verse 16, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Or, uh, or v- verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And the picture there is, is that of, of, um, of walking in line with someone else's kind of command, like soldiers keeping in step, or like playing um, follow the leader or something. You know, you play follow the leader with the kids, you know, walk like this and they all marching behind you happily. They might even be doing it out in a sports hall now as we talk. You ever make the fatal mistake of, 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 of having one of the kids lead the line? And suddenly you're all jumping like rabbits or something. You go, well how did I get to this? You know. Here am I, a grown man. It's the idea of following someone else's lead. And this uh, is, is, you know, is, is what the Bible calls walking by the Spirit, or being led by the Spirit. There's been a tendency in Christian teaching on this, I think, to go one of two ways. One route is to say, well, the Spirit now takes over. We kind of let go of our will. We just say, I'm just going to let myself go and let the Spirit lead me. Let him take me. Uh, When you think about it, it becomes a bit odd, really. It's almost as if I'm just going to sort of like let go of my will and It's almost then I just expect this force to overtake me and just make me do things. Kind of slightly odd when you think about it. And that doesn't take these imperatives seriously. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. You have to do something. It isn't letting go, this renewal. But in distinction to that, you often hear voices that simply say, Try harder. Oh, there you are, baffling sin. You, you gossip, sexual morality, whatever it is. Often, well, okay, let's let, let's create some rules that'll help. You know, don't don't do this, don't do that. Create enough rules. Try hard enough. Steal your will strongly enough. You'll you you can do it. But that that that's, that, that, that isn't following the lead of the spirits. I don't think this isn't trying harder. the way the spirit works uh, here Romans 8 is very similar he doesn't override our will nor does he simply point us in the right direction and then say go on then try and get down there he renews our will and leads us so in, um, in, in Greek mythology there were the sirens uh, part bird, part female, who sang a beautiful song from the rocks and enticed sailors to sail towards them. And They couldn't help themselves being drawn and their, uh, their ships were, were shipwrecked on the rocks. They were drawn to their death. Two famous sailors in Greek mythology managed to sail past. One was Odysseus who uh Uh, filled his um, uh, sailor's ears with wax so they couldn't hear the song. And then he tied himself to the mast so that he could hear the song, but he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't steer the ship the wrong way. That's a picture, I think, of how some of us can live the Christian life, where we're tempted by sin, we feel the pull of the sinful nature. There he is strapped to the mast. It's like At that moment when he's hearing the song, I'd love to steer this ship towards there, but I'm just calm. I'm restricted. But I wish I could have. And so we can live a Christian life where if anything stops us sinning, it's kind of external things, barriers we put up around us. Whereas our heart actually would love to. Now that isn't the that is not this renewal of wholeness God wants. That hasn't resulted in inner change in our heart. It's purely prevention by constraint. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying there is no value in prevention by constraint and sometimes there are very practical things to do in the fight against sin, fight for violence. Absolutely. But prevention by constraint is not actual inner renewal. Another sailor Orpheus managed to sail past and the way he did it was by playing a more beautiful tune so that his sailors weren't drawn to the song of the sirens. The Spirit plays a more beautiful tune to us and leads us to prefer his way than sin's way. And the challenge is to keep listening to Him, keep in step with Him, walk with Him. So, He leads us to love God and to love obeying Him and to love people and to produce this fruit from the heart. And so, walking by the Spirit involves real inner change, not just outward conformity. It's important to say sin will still look very attractive to us. It will always look attractive to us, this side of heaven. And we will feel the pull of sin, whether it's sexual morality or jealousy or envy, but as we do so, the Spirit will be pulling the other way singing his song, saying this is right. This is what is better. If you want to follow that up a little bit, that book, You Can Change, it was mentioned last night, uh, very much develops that kind of idea and so here is a route to wholeness I don't know what your battles are Um, I think of people in my church and I think of battles with uh, pornography uh, jealousy, pride alcohol uh, bitterness lack of forgiveness if I keep on picturing people I could keep on going and I'm describing myself there, of course, as well. None, you know, none of us is, is immune. I don't know what your battles are. I know sometimes people can end up simply feeling trapped and like there is no possibility of change. Uh, and they're forgiven, but there is no freedom and new life for them in this area. And I want to say that's a lie. The Spirit's Brings new life and renews us and leads us. We can help each other in this. If you feel trapped, talk to someone about that. I'll happily to talk to you, talk to someone you know here. But the wonder is, God is not just letting us off the hook with our sin, He is renewing us. Now, lastly, the Spirit who heals. We've said brokenness is because of sin. And we can think about that in a couple of directions. We have been thinking mainly so far of our sin against God for which we are under his wrath and for which we need his forgiveness and we need new life because we're dead. We have thought about our sin that we then commit that he is renewing us from. But there is also the brokenness of that comes from what happens to us from other people as they sin against us and from living in a fallen and broken world. Because this is a sin-torn, broken, tragic world in many ways as well as a world of great pleasure and fun. It is both. So, I think of people at my church again. I think of someone who's uh, lost a child uh, or a spouse through death Uh, people who've suffered great pain, physical uh, handicap, uh, and so on, Uh, emotional issues, uh, struggling with pain of singleness, childlessness, uh, demeaning, frustrating work, or no work. That's all part of the tragedy of the fall. God didn't mean the world to be like that. And we can suffer hurt and damage at the hands of other people, of course. Parents who didn't care, but worse, were abusive. Unfaithfulness of spouses or friends, I think of someone whose wife uh, left him earlier this year at my church at home. We said earlier we're made not just to live in a relationship with God, but in a relationship with other people and the world that we're in as physical people in a physical world, and so this stuff affects us. We're damaged goods, all of us, at the hands of other people and at the hands of a world gone wrong. And so as well as the sin we commit where we are guilty, there is also the kind of the, the sin and damage against us where we are sort of victims. Now, we must say both of those. I do think there's a tendency to either go all one way or all the other way. We must say both. But what is God's work by his Spirit for where we're hurt, where we're damaged? Well, I think it's the Spirit who brings healing. I don't have a, a, a single a passage here. Uh, we heard a great example from Anna earlier. Thank you very much for sharing that. God works when we are those who are hurt by his Spirit to bring us to know him, his comfort, for example, 2 Corinthians 1, that his comfort flows into our love, brings us to know his love, his faithfulness. So where my friend is, is, is hurt by the unfaithfulness of his wife, he's led into a deeper understanding of God's utter faithfulness to him. Different aspects of truth will be needed in different situations depending on what that hurt is. But the Spirit leads us to know God and his truth and apply that to our hearts. And then he leads us by his Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit in that situation. Take my friend whose wife's left him. He will be tempted with bitterness, uh, lack of forgiveness, lack of joy in his life, lack of trust now of others. And God will be working by his Spirit both to comfort him in it and to bring him to now amazingly produce the fruit of the Spirit within that situation. That's what Anna was saying. Not just kind of getting over the, the loss but actually God renewing us in a deeper way through that experience and to lead us to discover joy, to be able to love and trust. That's my prayer for my friend at home. Though we're all damaged goods, the fact is some of us are more damaged than others in this way by particular tragedy, particular experiences. But God is repairing all of us. Leading us to what he meant us to be. I don't know what damage there is for you. I don't know what things you wrestle with. I just want to say God wants you to know him more deeply and truly. And the Spirit wants to lead you to wholeness in that. But we have said that this work will not be complete here and now. That is true of our fight against the sinful nature. We will not be sin-free until heaven or Christ returns. And I say that is also true of this area of hurts. So Some people speak, I think, as if the, the hurts and the scars of the mistreatment of other people the tragedies of life they speak about the healing of the spirit as if whatever happened to us can just be gone, like a bad dream. Oh, yeah, I remember that, but it just doesn't touch me anymore. And in God's goodness, He may do that. i have no sense want to say He couldn't or wouldn't do that. But we are people made to live in relationship. And if a parent is abusive to us, that is a profound thing. And while God brings healing, I think there are usually scars. And wholeness will not come completely until the work of the Spirit is complete. And the work of the Spirit is complete on the day He finally finishes remaking us and remaking this world. And on that day, we will fully and finally be whole people. Which means in thinking about the spirit of wholeness we not only need to think about how we work with him, listen to him, are led by him now, we must long for the day that his work is fully and finally done.